Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast with me, Scott Challoner. The podcast, just like the Leaders' Council itself, is all about recognising and celebrating the people who keep this country running. We exist to give leaders a voice outside of their own organisation and to support them in the same way that they support their staff every single day of the week. If you are in a leadership position yourself and would like to have your voice heard on the national stage, please go to leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. Joining me on today's programme on a rainy autumn day here in the capital is Claire Peacock. Claire leads self-catering holiday lodge business Clavelli Lakes, based near Clavelli in North Devon. Uh, Claire, very warm welcome to yourself and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us on the programme. Thank you very much, Scott. It's a, um, a real privilege to be here. Thank you. It's a pleasure for us as well to welcome you onto the uh, the programme with us, Claire. Um, normally, at this point in the show, we dive straight into the subject of leadership and really bring that into focus. But considering the ongoing COVID-19 situation, let's start there, because it's proven to be such a significant challenge for leaders within all walks of life. But for you and your business, just to what extent has it affected your operations? Um, well, I mean, I, I think the, the biggest thing for us was the initial lockdown. Um, and as a business, we had to completely close down. Um, and the financial implications of that was uh, quite devastating, really. Um, it, it, from a practical sense, there was a lot of um, reorganization, um, rebooking people that were due to come and stay with us. Um, and also giving refunds. I made a decision very early on that the right thing to do was to give people refunds. Um, fortunately, we had a, we have a very um, a loyal client base, um, and a lot of people wanted to rebook for either later in the year or next year. Um, but yes, financially, it has a huge knock-on effect, and and it will it will have a continued knock-on effect. I think for for a few years to come. And I think the, there is evidence of that sort of knock-on effect lasting for several years already, isn't there? Because we're seeing that even though things are opening up again, consumer confidence is still quite low, really. It's very subdued. And even when we have a vaccine in place, hopefully we do within the uh, the next year or so, um, we can maybe see, because of the prolonged anxiety brought about by COVID-19, that consumer confidence and that angst sort of lingering for a while to come. So people are going to be hesitant to venture out to places, go on holidays, and indeed go to places where there are going to be lots of other people. Yes, yes. I mean, we, we are, people are definitely hesitant, although there has been a marked increase in bookings for next year, the next summer in particular. So, you know, there are green shoots if, if as you say, we can find a vaccine. Um, but people are still hesitating and people have been, um, I think, close, watching very closely to see um, whether they can have a holiday this year and they've been holding back quite a bit and booking quite late. We've had a lot of last minute bookings. So, you know, in one sense, um, people have ventured out, but I think people are still quite nervous um, and worried about the situation in terms of of what will happen if their holiday is cancelled um, in terms of getting a refund. So we, we do have lots of questions where I, I deal with that sort of issue. And is there anything reflecting on your experience of dealing with this so far that you've maybe learned in your leadership capacity from having to adapt to this new reality? 
Um, well, I've certainly had to be flexible in 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 dealing with situations. So there's sort of new situations appearing every every other day, really. So flexibility has certainly been something that I've had to think about. Um, and I've had to encourage my staff to be very flexible as well. Um, um, and um, I think it's been, I've had to really challenge myself in terms of keeping myself motivated and keeping myself focused because I think it's very easy, particularly when we were in lockdown, um, it was very easy to drift um, and to lose a bit of focus, really, and and um, to let things become, uh, let things, worries take over and, and feel slightly overwhelmed. So I've really had to drive myself forward as a leader um, in order to make sure that I keep my staff motivated and on board and drive them forward as well. Yes, leaders have certainly had to step up to the plate to keep people reassured and keep people motivated. That's a very valid point that you come up with there. Um, And that phrase that lingers around, it's lonely at the top, of course, rings very true when as a leader, you're having to sort of bear that responsibility on your shoulders and do all of that yourself. So when you are in that position where you don't have anybody above above you, as it were, to refer to, where do you tend to look to for the motivation and inspiration that you need as and when you require it? Um, I think I look to people that I'm close to. So I seek, I've certainly had to seek a lot of advice. Um, I'm, I'm new to this role. So I've had to seek advice from people that I trust. Um, I also, um, prior to taking on, um, the lodges. I was a primary. I worked in primary education and and was a leader within that area. And I did learn an awful lot about my approach to leadership. I suppose um, by watching other people in their role in their le- in their roles as leaders. Um, and also, I, I have someone, a friend of mine, who. Um, his leadership I, I admire and he's been very successful and I, I try to reflect on how he um, approaches leadership and what he would do in certain situations and and try to um, encourage myself, if you like, to to try and take on board some of his strategies and his, his coping mechanisms. Um, so really looking close close to home i think for um ways to improve and develop my own skills leadership skills and leadership itself is indeed a process of continual improvement and continued progression isn't it because you've mentioned there that you are new to the role you sort of came in and took over the running of the business um in august last year and very much um with very little business experience beforehand you've had to get really hands-on you've had to really learn on the spot and in many senses it's been the case for everybody throughout covid19 isn't it and it just goes to show that so much of leadership in an everyday context and indeed in unprecedented times is trial and error we never stop learning learning is absolutely key to leadership 
absolutely. No, I, I completely agree with that. And, um, and it, it re- reflecting, self-reflection, reflecting on the business, reflecting on how you're going to go forward, what, what makes it better, what improves it. I think it's co- continual reflection and continual learning. Um, and, and I think that's, that's a, a way for me that, um, I think that you will be most successful really in terms of, of, of building a business um, is by looking, you know, being self-analytical and being analytical about what you're doing, A, in your role as a leader, but also what you're doing in terms of what you're delivering to your customer or your client. And just for those younger generations of um, leaders out there, aspiring leaders rather, that may be downhearted about the current situation and the effect that it's going to have on not just the economy, but also their employment prospects. As somebody who has really gone in um, blind into leadership and really taken the ball by the horns, what is your advice to those people to really get them to pick their heads up and get them on the road to success? Um, I think it's, for me, a very important aspect is to be resilient, to try and build your own resilience, um, to take those knocks, to to try and look at the positives out of those knocks and to pick yourself up and move yourself forward and move your business forward. A, a, a great deal of what we, what I used to teach when I was a primary school teacher was about resilience. And I, I think that's a key aspect in terms of personal development um yeah that's what i think that's what i would say to people I think that's incredibly sound advice indeed, Claire, for sure. And um, thinking about the future now, just before we do wrap things up, because I am conscious that we are beginning to run short of time. Um, we know that the new normal is going to be here to stay for a few months yet, perhaps until the spring, maybe even longer, depending on the trajectory of the pandemic. But as we're continuing to get to grips with that challenge and we then start to look to the longer term future when hopefully we have a vaccine in place, what do you think is next for you and for Clavelli Lakes? What are you hoping to achieve and where do you see yourselves this time in a year? Well, I'm hoping um, that we are going to be fully booked um, for as long as we possibly can throughout the season. That that will be my aim to get as many people staying with us as possible. Um, I mean, you know, that's the crux of our business, really. Um, I've, I've been lucky enough in a way to really build a good team now so I have a good team behind me um, and really I I would hope that if we can um, get ourselves fully booked that we can begin to think I can I can begin to think about longer term strategic planning um, in terms of um, renovating and updating um, so that's really what I'm looking to do in the future um, and it, um, improving the the guest experience. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm hoping I'm going to do. Seems as if there's plenty over the course of the next few months to really get your teeth into to improve the uh, the business. And it's good that that ambition is there, even amid all of the uncertainty of the uh, the current climate. And I actually think, Claire, just given how enlightening it's being having you join us today, that it would be wonderful to catch up and have you back on the show at some point in future just to see how things are coming along in that respect. That would be, that would be great. Yes, I'd love I'd love that. Thank you. 
I'd certainly welcome that opportunity and I really hope that there will be some positive news to share at that point in time as well. It's been such a pleasure, Claire, welcoming you onto the programme to discuss your take on leadership and do take care and stay safe in the meantime with everything that's still going on in the world too. Thank you, Scott. It's been a pleasure. I'd also reiterate that last message there to every single one of our listeners tuning in today. Do please continue to look after yourselves and indeed be considerate of others because it does make a real, real difference in saving lives. It was a pleasure to welcome Claire Peacock onto today's programme. Next up on the show, we'll be joined by Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Liz Field, the Chief Executive of the Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association, the trade body for firms who provide such services for both individuals and families. I do hope that you all enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan relished the opportunity to speak with Liz and that is coming up next. I'm Jonathan White and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today. No, thank you for inviting me. No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a great place to start if we may is maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, PIMFA does work in, uh, uh, across the board these days, but, of course, it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago when, of course, um, MAPFA and uh, the WMA were merged. That's right, yes. Um, I think it really was a, a reflection of, of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, but both, had, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nine, well, nearly 30 years yes. now, actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's, it's been nearly three years now. And the uh, probably a very wise move because uh, the the uh, uh, has been going from strength to strength uh, since. Uh, what would you say at the moment uh, is are, are are the priorities uh, for yourselves there? Um, I think there are a number of priorities. I mean, we represent a diverse group of um, of businesses which all have one thing in common, which is that they face the clients, they they face the consumer. Um, So whether that is face-to-face or whether that is um, online, uh, it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um, for themselves and for their families. Uh, But we're going through uh, a number of of key challenges. I mean, um, looking at a a, a macro level, if you like, um, markets are a little turbulent. Um, It's it's very challenging um, to... um, kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world so uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and uh, and an investment management firm to help you um, because it is quite a complex arena and that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally so um, if you have that as a backdrop uh, and then politically you have what's going on um, with post-Brexit uh, and where the rules are going to come from in future, all of that is still to be negotiated. Um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face. 
Oh, without a doubt. I think uh, it maybe leaves you quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the on those points because uh, I, th- I think it's 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 a, it's a unique time almost, Liz, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front, Liz. We don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it? Okay, so I think, I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um, of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um, I think they're, they're, the the businesses are facing a lot of um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of the, um, per, I think it's personal health and social education um, a piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think uh, it's, go- it's, just, it's just going to keep coming up against the same barriers. Um, And financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also quite like to see is is that we have more um, kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum, because that will also then bring it to life uh, for young people, for uh, youngsters and school kids. It will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or you know that they they deal with on a day-to-day basis which is money. So the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money um the better I think because that then we'll start to promote a culture of of savings and investments which we so badly need in our in 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 our um in our country. Without a doubt it's because and again you've hit the nail on the head because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you can, you, as you've pointed out very well, uh, it, it, companies can try all they all they might, but it, it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah. And I think, as um, uh, for example, uh, with with the new government we have, there have already been positive noises at the very least. Whether they become actions is another. <laughs> thing entirely regarding what you could consider a, for, a, a, a far more applied mathematics in, in a lot of uh, uh, the system, but ty- time will tell. And that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to. Liz. Yes, but I we, think you're right. <laughs> we probably shouldn't. Um, now, looking at, at a couple of the points to pick up that you've already raised here, Liz, uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seems as if 
the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a, a large majority for the Conservative Party, and therefore at least we have now uh, left the European Union without, without dragging you down the political rabbit hole here, at least. Is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more s far more certainty in the market? And what are your hopes for the next twelve months? Um, I think I think that, that we've still got a little way to go because um, whilst you know thirty first of January came and went, um, you know we're now we're now in a negotiation period. We're now in a transition period, mm. um, and for for UK. Um, savers and uh, and investors. Uh, in terms of where the rules are made, there's still there's still not some clarity about that. Um, you know, we're we're still uh, well. We don't know yet whether we're still tied um, or will be tied to the um, European rulemaking um, down the line. That's still to be negotiated. I mean, we've always said that actually for for savers and investors, we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds. Um, however, it, you know. The majority of our of our firms look after UK savers, um, and therefore, a one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an uh, we think that there's an opportunity there with definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. Mm. What we're talking about is smarter mm. regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique industry in terms of savings and investments um, um, in, Euro in Europe, England, or U the UK rather, and, and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model of in intermediation that we have here, that has caused us problems in the past, and we're hoping that we we will be able to affect that in the future with a local regulator and a local rule and a local rulemaker. But we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So whilst I'd like to be posit positive and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of uh, of negotiation and uh, until we see where we go to with that. Uh, and of course, you've got financial services and fisheries amongst yes, the same two, piece, you know. Famous <laughs> fellows, aren't they? Indeed, I mean, absolutely, um, absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see, I think. It, absolutely. Um, and it will be an uh, interesting year, if nothing else. Um, yes. uh, now, you, you, you mentioned there at least uh, the role of, uh, of course, regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, PIMFA has. Uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the SEA, um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly? Um, I think part I I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, I think if you look at the 
the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate, um, it, it, it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up exponentially. Our criticism is that, you know, we we don't object to having an FSCS levy um, or, you know, the lifeboat funds to pay, you know, recompense to to consumers. Uh, and, and our view is has always been that the polluter pays. But the polluters have, have long since folded by the time mm. it comes to any payment, which means that good firms are paying for bad firms. So the system, we believe, is broken. Um, and, and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know, what is it that the, that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big. So that, you know, what is the nature of risk? That all needs to be um, uh, redefined, we believe, and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine well, if that's what risk is, then how do we protect it and how do we levy for it? Mm. Um, and that is all linked to better supervision. So that is something we have been critical about. Um, we're in the process of finalizing a paper uh, which we um, which we have positioned in a constructive manner, which is these are some of the things that we believe FCA, you should be looking at in your supervisory process, and we want to help you to do your job better. Now, I I know there's no such thing as a a magic wand, Liz, and perhaps it'll be putting you on the spot. <laughs> but if let's imagine, let's let's imagine you did have one just for the just for this afternoon, perhaps, and you were able to change one thing about that uh, system. And perhaps I shouldn't ask this because if your report isn't out yet, you might well not want to reveal something that's in it. Um, but if you could. <laughs> Um, what would be your number one priority? If we, if we were to, if I were, my number one priority to, to solve the system. In terms of reform. In terms of reform, mm. what regulatory yeah, reform, yes. you mean? Um, I think, oh, goodness me, the one thing. Um, it is a bit of a mean I, question. Uh, it <laughs> is, gosh, yes, wow. Um, I, I think it's about the regulatory perimeter. Sure. Um, I, I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter. Um which is, you know, gives some certainty to to clients about what is protected and what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what what's the pathway to success for them and what and and I think if there's some clarity around all of that, then everybody will be will be better off. Great. Now, I'm conscious of the time here, Liz. It's already catching up with us. So perhaps if we can take a, a little step back and uh, and look at, um, at the operations of PIMFOR again, it's what PIMFOR do, does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different uh, organisations. Can 
that really is be underestimated the importance of having those working relationships with with the departments and the organizations that you do have no i don't i i think it's absolutely fundamental um to any business actually mm. but it's certainly something that that we have it in the middle of the stick of rock that is PIMFA. Uh, I mean, we talk about the, you know, the values that we have as an organization. We, we are a small organization uh, and we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So relationship building um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do. Without a doubt, and I think that's the key point, Liz, isn't it? That that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think, and because of the time here, we we I, I must start to wrap up. But um, perhaps I can ask Liz, looking forward, and I know the next twelve months is full of uncertainty. What are uh, the plans Pimfa has for it, nonetheless? Um, so I think our well, our key priority this this next twelve months is 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 to be talking um, much more, um, and we 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 have been lobbying um, a fair bit on this. But because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into um, see the policymakers on both sides, I think, to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing. They, you know, they, they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter. Um, and what does what does regulation look like for, uh, for us moving forward? But at the same time, it's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those those two um, are kind of what are, are the main the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know we have a manifesto that's got six that's got six pillars in it, um, and regulation and supervision and the future of that is is just. Um, Kind of is just one of those things. There are a whole host of other of other things promoting the sector as a as a force for good and as an integral part of a of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental well being uh, is is another key strand of, of activity. So I think future of regulation, future of supervision, and then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures. Well, Liz, there might never be uh, a more important year, uh, or has not been in a while, that will determine the future of all of those things, and perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks. Um, but it's been <laughs> Liz, an absolute pleasure discussing that uh, leadership with you today. Uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things. Thank you. I would love to do that. Thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.